Happy December. How is everyone this morning? Come on in, take a seat, take a seat. If you find your seat, take a stand. We're going to get started with some music this morning. Uh, yeah, let's, let's get us going.
shepherds watched their flocks by night, seated on the ground. The
shall come to thee, O Israel. I shall come to thee, O Israel. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, let me just say, oh, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> Did you yeah. go to church here? <laughs> oh, no. Are we improving? I don't know. Oh, we're improving. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. It's a test. Okay. Yeah. Good to see you. Good yeah. to see you, Laura. Um, well, I just want to say welcome and um, point you to a couple things. Um, I mean, if you've been here before, we referenced our website and our Connect card on there. If you're new, especially, just know that there's an online form you can fill out. And um, I'm actually the person that reaches out and connects with you. And um, I'm basically here to help you get connected and find either ways to serve or um, a cohort to be a part of. So um, just know that that's online. And also, if you have been coming uh, for a long time, but maybe you are not yet serving in any capacity and, that, and God's put that on your heart, um, that's a way that you can let us know about that and then find ways to get connected in that way. And we've also got our cohorts that I mentioned. Those are going to be starting back up in January. Um, but this is a great time to be uh, meeting the leaders or other people in the cohorts. And so that's something that I'm happy to help um, make those connections happen as well. And also January, we have our New Year's party. No Christmas party this year. We're going to take a breather, and we all have probably a lot of things on our list of things to do, and so we're going to uh, do a J January party instead, and stay tuned for more details about that. Second Saturday of January, right? 15th. That's right. That's yeah. right. So I think there's one more thing. Well, I feel, like, I feel like we should give a little shout-out here to, to Morgan. I think oh, we should give yes. a little shout-out. Ms. Morgan, Where right here. Raise your hand. Ms. Yes. Morgan decorated this space oh. for her. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. Not alone. She had a team, but she gets all the credit. <laughs> so she does have a husband. I know he was here. But and then Ellison's. Yeah, fantastic yes. team. But Team Morgan looks awesome. Thank you. That's a beautiful. I just love coming to church this time of year. Mm -hmm. There's something special and if you have people in your life who um, may or may not be currently church goers, now's a great time to invite them. Just be a part of our family. Just come to our dinner table every Sunday from, from here until Christmas Eve. Did we yeah. say the Christmas Eve no, service? No, yeah, Christmas oh. Eve service. Four o'clock on the 24th. We won't have a Sunday service that 26th. So um, if you're around in town and have a friend or family that you can bring, that'll be a perfect uh, service to bring to. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun. Financial be fun. update? What's that? Financial update? Financial update. Stuff. So that's why Laura invited me up here. She wanted me to give a financial update for the church uh, here in December. I'll do that for you, Laura. But um, first, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of us. This has been a crazy 18, 19 months. Um, so much unknown, so much um, 
probably job insecurity so much. Where am I going to be? What's going to be next? Then you guys have continued um, to commit to this mission, to commit to the mission of Sedaris, to helping people in this city consider Jesus. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you who are sacrificially giving towards this end. Um, it's been a really amazing year. Like we didn't know when the pandemic started two years ago what would really happen. You know, we're a young church, six and a half years old, and uh, a lot of young people who are in transition or, um, you know, always wondering what's next. And you guys have continued to be generous. And so um, sort of happy to report that we're, we're pretty much on track for this year, uh, you know, actuals to budget. Um, we're we're slight, maybe slightly behind budget up to December 4th, but um, typically for churches, December is, and a lot of organizations, December is sort of a, an extra special month of giving, and, and we hope that's no different this year at Sedaris. That will help us reach our financial goals for the year so that we can enter into 2022 um, in a really good place. So, um, so one, I just want to say thank you, celebrate that, celebrate that um, we're in a very good, healthy place financially, but also uh, just encourage you to continue to pray about what generosity with your finances looks like for you. Um, I know as a church with a lot of uh, young, younger people, probably first time giving to a church, first time committing financially to a church to say, this is, this is my church family, and so I want to give towards that mission. I just encourage you to keep praying about that. If you ever want to talk about that with um, me, uh, by the way, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors. <laughs> if um, if you're new with us, uh, or Ryan, or or Ben, our other elder, or anybody on our senior leadership team, including Laura, um, you know, it's good. It's not a scary thing to talk about. It's a good thing to talk about. There's so much joy in giving to the work of God. He's building His kingdom. His kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven, and it, and it comes through the sacrificial giving of His people. Um, I think primarily through the local church. Um, but also encourage you to pray about giving to other organizations outside of the church, uh, but really cultivating that heart of generosity and really running through the five C's that we've been talking about, um, connecting with God through prayer, through his word, having that conversation with God, like what does giving uh, look like in the context of the local church, outside the context of the local church? God, what do you want me to do? And then open yourself up to consider with an internal perspective, God, how do you want me to use the gifts you've given me now for your eternal kingdom, for your, your eternal purposes. Really open your heart up to that and then pray that he brings conviction that you might step into that and experience the joy of confessing through the giving of your finances um, to the things God puts on your heart to give to. So um, I always like to do that. We don't talk about money a lot here. Um, since the pandemic, we don't pass anything around. So um, if you want to start giving, you know, I know a lot of people have kind of been waiting, like, am I going to still have my job through this pandemic? There's so much uncertainty. If you've, if you've kind of been waiting on that and you want to say, now's the time I want to give or I even want to catch up in my giving, now's a great time to do that. Really help us meet our year-end goals so that as we're setting our budget for 2022, we kind of know that we can like where should we go from here um, we'd love for you to do that the easiest way to do that and most 99% of people do it this way is by setting up giving online so you can either do that through the Sedaris app we do have an app we don't talk about it a lot but there's an app you can click the giving button there and it'll send you to the same portal that through the website there's a there's a giving tab that you can find and there's also some information about how to conceive of giving um, as, as a follower of Jesus what does scripture have to say about giving 
what, what does scripture have to say about this idea of the tithe? Is that an Old Testament thing? A tithe just means a tenth. Is that something I should still be doing as a New Testament follower of Jesus? Like all, all the, there's some questions you can, um, you can start to help have that conversation with God um, on the giving tab of our website. It's very easy to set up giving. Um, and then the other thing that we talked about, if like, like Allie and I have set up recurring giving, so it just automatically comes out each month. So that's already happened in December, but we're already thinking about, okay, going forward into 2022, is that number gonna change? If you're thinking about changing that number, even if your recurring giving has already hit, we'll be able to see those sort of um, gross numbers come, not gross like disgusting, but like the total number of recurring giving. And, it, and if you, so if a bunch of us decide, hey, in 2022, we're gonna change our recurring giving, we'll be able to see that, which will help us set our budget and maybe even reach for some new things that we'd love to do. Bring new things and new people into our mission um, that'll help us know that. So um, we kind of start making all these decisions about next year in December, so that's why we want to do an update now for you. But biggest thing is, yay, amen. Um, God's been so faithful to us, and that's uh, him working through your uh, generosity and heart. So thank you very much, and um, yeah, keep Keep moving forward. I, I'm so excited about this next year uh, because God's bringing so much um, new energy and fruit and, and people to join and commit to this mission. So, uh, Laura's the best person to talk to <laughs> if you want to get connected to this mission. And uh, so if you're new with, us, new with us, fill out a connect card and we'll get you coffee with Laura. So, <laughs> all right, I think that's all I got, Laura, as far as enough. Any questions that you have? No? Ooh. No, no, okay, no sorry. Right. I didn't have any answers. So. Okay. Um, well, I would love to pray um, about all of this, about the season, and then I'll kick us off into our four-minute conversation. Thank you, Lord, for all of the signs of your provision and your presence with us. Uh, thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness and your steadfastness with us, Lord. Um, we pray that all of these things that um, your Holy Spirit is helping us to consider and have conversations about and convicting our hearts of, Lord, um, we pray it's all an overflow from who you are and us just drawing closer to that. So we praise you. Uh, please bless the space and uh, help our hearts be open to what you have to share with us. Um, please Bless Ryan as he speaks. Um, give, us, give us your words through him, Lord. Um, and we pray in your son's name. Amen. And on actually the topic of generosity is prompting, we had talked about a Christmas kind of prompt for the, the four-minute conversation, but maybe let's talk about generosity. What is a sign in this last week of someone who's been generous to you? Be it family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, or very clearly God working through them, um, maybe share a confession of that. Four minutes. Jesus, Jesus, hope and joy in a baby born. Come to love and come to free us. All the
Good morning, good morning. What a great four-minute conversation. <clears throat> good morning. Well, hey, guys. It's so great to see um, so many of you here this morning on this second week of Advent, which is just a fancy word for, for coming. The second, uh, the second week that we look towards the coming of Jesus. So great to see so much life in that four-minute conversation, you know. 
um, we were actually passed an article saying that, that conversations like the one you just had are that which actually grow emotional intelligence. Thanks to Gregor, he, he uh, sent us that this week. Um, but Sedaris, we're all about conversation here, and so we, we love even prioritizing it on Sunday mornings. Um, so yeah, that's four-minute conversation. If you're new with us, they feel weird at first, but before long, you're the most emotionally intelligent person in the room, okay? So it's coming. Uh, <laughs> well, if, if you, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out and open up to John chapter one, the Gospel of John. We're gonna be right at the beginning in the big number one. You can even use your phone to Google that and, uh, and access uh, John chapter one that way. We also have some Bibles underneath the, the chairs in front of you. You can use that one. That'll be on page 941, it looks like, 941. And if you don't have a Bible, take that one home with you. It's our gift to you. Everybody should have a copy of the scriptures so they can open them. And, and even just holding all of God's word at, at one time is just incredible. Even as you're reading just one passage, being like, this is connected to so much other stuff. Um, I could go on and on about that. But that's not the sermon that we're preaching today. Uh, 941, if you're using the Pew Bible. John chapter 1. And today we come to John chapter 1 um, as a Christmas passage, as, as our Christmas Advent passage, which if you're familiar with John chapter 1, it might seem a little bit strange to you because that's because um, John's gospel doesn't actually have any of the details surrounding Jesus' birth. Okay, there's, there's, um, there, there's no star in the sky, there's no wise men on their way, there are, is no angel in the fields announcing it to the shepherds, there's no Joseph, there's no Mary. In fact, in John, we, we encounter Mary for the first time as she's the mother of an adult Jesus, okay? And so um, there's no drummer boy. That was a test. There's no drummer boy in the Bible anywhere, okay? Uh, that was a test. Uh, a lot of people laughed right away, so you passed the test if you, if you got the joke. No. Um, so there, there's none of that in the Gospel of John um, because John is actually more about talking about the meaning of Christmas than the details around Christmas. And this is something that John is actually really, really good at in his gospel generally. You know, he's actually writing after the other three gospels had already been written, and he recognized that kind of when he was writing around 70 or 80 AD, um, you know, everybody had, had the details of Jesus pretty good. They, 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 There's three works, they could go there, they could read them, they, they could understand everything that happened when Jesus showed up. But now the church was really struggling to interpret them. What do these things actually mean? And so what John is going back through in his gospel is he's saying, this is what those details actually meant. This is what, so we have kind of this theological gospel, I guess you could call it. Um, and so um, th that's one of the things that, one of the ways that John is different from the other gospels is he's like, I'm gonna tell you the why behind everything. In fact, if you, that, that's why we have four different gospel accounts. Um, you know, Mark and Luke, or sorry, Matthew and Luke, they're, they're more answering detailed questions. The where and the when of Jesus. Mark is gonna tell you the who of Jesus really well. And, and John, he's gonna tell us the why, maybe even the how of Jesus. So um, that's one of the reasons why we have four different gospel accounts. If you're like, why are there so many of them? Why wouldn't it just make more sense to have one? Uh, well, in essence, they all form that one big gospel account. Uh, they all answer the who, what, when, where, and why, and they have different emphases in them. Um, like, I, I'm getting down another rabbit trail. Sorry, I just love the scriptures so much. Okay. Um, so he's going to give us the meaning of Christmas today, which is, which is something that I would argue everyone's actually looking for in this season. You know, as our Western society, it, it trends to get more and more um, post-Christian, 
it, it, what's interesting is it doesn't actually want to get rid of the holiday altogether because there's so much money to be made here around Christmas time, right? And, and, and so what instead um, we do is that there's kind of a redefinition and uh, a repurposing of what Christmas is all about. It, it tries to divert the central focus of the season from Jesus um, to general notions of goodness, kindness, generosity, things like this. Um, actually, Dave introduced me to a, a movie that just dropped uh, like the day after Thanksgiving called A Boy Called Christmas. It's on Netflix, which I'm not, I'm not like bashing it or anything, but this is kind of what it does. It's kind of making a subtle turn to saying, you know, goodness and generosity is really what this season's all about. Um, John's going to come and call us back to something else. He's, he's going to call us back to uh, something tangible, something historic, something that actually has roots, Jesus Christ. He, he wants to root us in Jesus Christ. And um, I have a somewhat peculiar aspect of my upbringing that I don't usually talk about, not because I'm ashamed of it or because it's particularly painful, um, but because it just rarely comes to mind. And I think a lot of us have these things about our upbringing that we don't talk about a lot that are actually really strange, but it was just normal for us, and so we don't really talk about it much. And then we, we bring it up and people are like, that was really weird. Uh, you should definitely get some help or something around this area. <laughs> um, but it brings up one that, that is really true for me. Um, my abnormal normal, I guess you could put it, um, it has to do with my extended family. Um, so when, when my parents graduated college uh, in Tucson, Arizona, there were Wildcats. Um, sorry to ASU fans. Or in, in the th I, I, I'm, I have no horse in that race, okay? Um, but they were wildcats, and they decided to move to Denver, and they cut off all their roots of their families. Like, like they didn't look back at all. They, they didn't even look over their shoulder. They moved to Denver. They started a family of their own. I have three brothers, and they never looked back. So, so I grew up w w without grandparents, without aunts, without uncles, without cousins. None of that. It was just us and our nuclear family. We, we were completely severed and detached from any, any other, like, family expectations, family responsibilities, family traditions. Um, no grandparents, uncles, cousins. I, I didn't even get so much as a birthday card from my grandparents ever. Um, my mom's parents have died in the past year. I'm, I don't even know that before my, my dad's mom died, if she even knew that I was alive. And uh, I just don't know. My dad's dad, I've, I've never met. You could show me a picture of him, and I would not recognize. I don't even know what this guy looks like, okay? And now I'm not sharing all this to get your sympathy or anything like that. Like I said, this is just normal to me. I don't really carry an enduring wound or hurt or anything like that as a result. It just is. And, and that being said, the, the reality that comes with being severed from a family tree means complete separation from tradition. Um, and so I, I grew up with kind of this blank slate. Our family was functionally on their own island. Uh, but my parents had complete independence from their families of origin. And, and from the stories that I have heard about them, it sounds like it's probably a blessing that I was more shielded from that stuff than, than they were running away from something good. Now, we weren't exactly lonely, just disconnected. There's a difference between disconnected, disconnection and not being rooted and loneliness. 
And, and, and so it was really difficult to know what exactly was true or good in life. My parents actually weren't Christians, and so it was difficult to know, wait, how am I supposed to live a life? I don't have examples of grandparents or aunts and uncles because I have nothing to look at. I don't have the scriptures. I don't have, have Christianity. Nothing to look at to try to ground myself in. This is how a life should be lived in the world. I couldn't tap into like any additional wisdom or insight past just whatever my parents told me to do. And, and this is actually precisely why I've come to just love, 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 love Christmas, the Christmas season. Because when you, you push past all of the hype, all of the distractions of the season, when you get over the, the commercialization, or if you push deeper and beyond just goodness or, or generosity or things like that, and, and you deal with Christmas on its own terms, like John's going to call us to, you encounter this blessed rootedness. This, 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 I, I, there's no other better way to put it than it's just this, this blessed state of rootedness, which comes with these incredible, incredible byproducts. So if you think of a tree, it puts down roots, roots really, really deep, and it has the security that it needs not to be blown over. Uh, growing up in my family, I felt like, you know, I'm not really rooted in anything. Like, this whole thing could get blown over really quickly. There's no safety net, uh, and none of us really know what we're doing all that well. So, so with rootedness comes security, comes confidence, and, and perhaps even more importantly, the hope that it can continue, that the tree can continue to grow. And, and so it's no coincidence that this is just kind of a microcosm of what the Western culture is doing generally, that as Western civilization becomes less and less rooted in Christianity, those who live within it start missing out on the blessings of what rootedness is. And so we have a culture that's incredibly insecure, unconfident, nervous, anxious, prone to despair. This is what happens when you start cutting the roots off and, and many, many sociological studies have been focused on kind of defining this existential crisis in the West. Um, and one of the huge, uh, like the, the biggest, well, there's lots of little definitions, but one of the huge themes in there that's emerged, it goes like this. Those in the West are increasingly unable to define themselves and their purpose in any meaningful way. Those in the West um, are increasingly unable to define themselves and their purpose in any meaningful way. So insecurity and anxiety plague us. We feel vulnerable and exposed and, precar and precarious because we've cut off our roots. We're, we're, we're cutting the roots off one by one. And, and we're, just, we're doing it just about everywhere uh, we, we could in society, but also including Christmas. And John wants to help us. He didn't create the Christmas holiday, but he has the meaning and purpose to which the holiday corresponded at one point. And so we're going to look at that together to do it. Now, um, we're going to be looking through John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you've read it before, is a really, really, really dense passage with a lot of significant, complex themes in it. And, and even to be certain, John's actually trying to be ambiguous because he wants to intrigue you. Into, he almost wants to trick you into keep reading to like, what, what, let's define these terms, you know? So it's actually intentionally ambiguous here. Um, and our Advent passage actually formally starts all the way down in verse 14. Um, but I don't want to get too bogged down in this stuff on the front end, so I'm just going to kind of supplant some definitions for you with these big themes. I'm just going to give them to you instead of try to explain them fully, um, to which half the audience applauses and half the audience is like, oh, man, I wish 
we really roll our sleeves up here. No. Um, so let's dive into it together. Let's start in verse 1, and I'll start just defining the terms that we need in order to understand our passage in verse four, that starts in verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. All right, do you feel the ambiguity? A lot of big subjects just thrown out there. Um, let, let's start with the thing that breaks our brains the most. I'll, let's start there, then everything else kind of becomes a little more simple. Um, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That kind of those are mutually exclusive statements, right? Let's just acknowledge it. You can't be with uh, someone and also be that person, okay? So, so this is a, a very crazy thing that John's saying. He's saying something is true that we can't really conceive of in, in our brains um, and, and can't even conceive of with regards to how we relate to one another. Um, but this can be true for God. And, and while there's plenty of analogies that are, have been um, kind of crafted and created to help us wrap our heads around this reality. At the end of the day, there is a little bit of mystery in this relationship called the Trinity. And, and John is going to blow our mind throughout this entire work, talking about how the Trinity works together um, and, and how his disciples encountered it all the time. And it broke their brains too, you know. Um, uh, at one point, the disciples at the Last, at the last Supper say, uh, show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus says, how can you ask me to show you the Father? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It's like, oh, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. <laughs> you know, or, or in, Jesus will also say at that same meal, he who loves me will obey my commands and the Father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. He's talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it's like, wait a sec, all of these uh, these things that we thought were somewhat distinct are now overlapping and becoming more unified. And so the Gospel of John is really all about talking about these crazy things that Jesus said that broke the disciples' brains, that, that really uh, we struggled to understand as well, but Jesus still said them, and so we need to really come, come to these scriptures and, and open up our, our hearts and our minds and ask God what he means by them. And so John is really where we get the introduction of, of the Trinitarian aspect of God. There's, there's uh, hints of it and echoes of it everywhere else in Scripture, but the clearest articulation is here in John, because remember, he's trying to bring meaning into Jesus, and so he's talking about Jesus as the second person of the Holy Spirit. All right, now the Word. In the beginning was the Word. So, so John refers to the second person of the Trinity who played a primary role in creation as the Word. Uh, this is the Greek word logos. And this Greek word logos would come to mean something very philosophical in the second and third centuries in, in, uh, in the Hellenistic parts of the Greek, the Greco-Roman Empire. But, but John's actually not leaning on those. He's actually leaning on this notion of the Word that is, has a very rich definition in the Hebrew scriptures. Because God's word in the Old Testament, it, it not, only, uh, not only does he create by it, but he actually accomplishes a whole lot of things by the word in the Old Testament. Uh, the word in the Old Testament really comes to, to, to denote and talk about God's intervention even within creation. So he, 
created by his word, spoke everything into existence, and then by his word, he intervenes within creation to accomplish his purposes or his mission within it. Uh, so, so God would often reveal himself by his word, and he would reveal his plans and his purposes by his word. We, we would see that primarily happen when he would be speaking through a prophet. He would speak by his word to make clear his plan. He would also save people by his word. We see this uh, in, in the Psalms a, a few times. We see this in the book of Isaiah, that God would save people by his word. There's times when his people come into like a, a, a large spread sickness and, and he would heal them by his word. So, so John uses this word, word, to point to how Jesus carried within him, within his very self, all of the creational missional, purposeful, saving, healing aspects of God himself. God's powerful and purposeful engagement with humans from the very beginning showed up, John says. All of his intentional actions are summed up in the person of Jesus, and they had all been working through him since the beginning of creation. That's what he's telling us here with this use of the word. He's linking up to a, a vibrant history and its usage throughout the entire Old Testament. Now, this word is very interesting. We get these other themes. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What is he talking about here? He's talking about how, how humans were created in his image, hearkening back to Genesis 1. Again, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Humans were created in the image of the word, and, and that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Now, that, now, as we're talking about darkness, so this could just be a regular old noun, talking about the absence of light somewhere. You know, wherever there's not light, there's darkness. But darkness here is personified here in verse 5. It's personified. It has a verb attached to it that you would use of a human. It has not overcome it. Or you could translate it, uh, darkness has not grasped it or even understood it. However you want to take it, darkness has been personified and as we're going to read, if you were to continue to read through John, you would find out that he uses it, darkness, as a word to, to encapsulate evil. Evil, that which is opposed to God. Darkness uh, is a moniker for evil throughout his work. All right, so, so God, with all this missional saving power and purpose, is coming into the world, but there's a problem. The world is shrouded in darkness and evil. Okay, let's continue. Verse 6. Now there's a man, man sent from God whose name was John. This is confusing. This is not John himself. He's not writing about himself. He's writing about John the Baptist, who we, we talked about John the Baptist's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, last week, if you want to uh, go back and, and listen to that a little bit. There's a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist, who, who came to be known as John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light but he came to testify to that light. Now, what is this light? Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. 
Now we're starting to get clear on the why of, of this word coming into the world, the why of this Jesus Christ coming into the world. He came to the world which he created, didn't recognize him, didn't, didn't receive him, they didn't believe him, they didn't think he was who he said he was. Really interesting. Have you ever heard of the show um, Undercover Boss? Undercover boss is kind of where the CEO of a larger corporation will go and work among his underlings who have no idea what he looks like. Okay, this is a little bit about what God entering into creation. Jesus, uh, God shows up to his people, his workforce, you could say, the Jews, and they don't know who he is. You know, it makes for great reality TV, you know. And, and, but in the show, eventually, the, the curtain gets pulled back, and everyone's like, oh, great, you know, this is our boss, which also makes for great reality TV. But, but for a lot of the times, that actually didn't happen. For most people that Jesus revealed, that Jesus uh, was around them, but for most of the Jews, they did not recognize him. They could not receive him. They could not believe on his name. When he clearly said that he was God, they wanted to kill him. Very different than undercover boss. So, so, so get this, the author of creation and the life that is within humans shows up in their midst, he engages them, he performs miracles before them, he clearly articulates the law, or you could say the word that he had spoken previously, more clearly than any of his teachers, any of their teachers. He calls a shot in dying, being raised back to life, and almost no one believed him. No one trusted him. No one wanted to buy what he was selling. Darkness darkness. People couldn't grasp and understand that God was even in their midst. But what was he selling? He was selling the right to become children of God, John says. That is to be born of God, which is a big concept that's unpacked in John chapter 3. To be born of God. How? Through this action called receiving Jesus. God, God showed up. Some received him. Some didn't. Those who did receive him became children of God. So now it becomes very important. Well, how does someone actually receive Jesus then? What does that actually mean? Well, John says it in a different way later in, in verse 16. He says, to those who believe in his name, receiving in Jesus and believing in the name of Jesus are, are very similar things. And, and believing in his name is not just acknowledging that Jesus is what his parents called him. You know, like, oh, yep, that... that that, that was his name. No, no, it, it means so much, so much more than that. Um, someone's name was, it was, and still is, even connected to, to their whole character and their whole person, so similar to a way where we'd say, I put my reputation on that. Uh, my person is on the line in this way. It, it means to trust a person completely, to, to believe in their name. It means to acknowledge that his claims and his actions were true and good. It means to happily confess the things that he would say. It would, it would be to understand him as, as the word in the way that he understood himself to be the word. It, it meant to embrace Jesus as he understood his self, the Christ. Jesus Christ, that is the Messiah, the Lord and Savior of humanity. That's what it means to believe in the name of Jesus. So, so that's John's setup to this famous Advent passage, all right? So you guys ready to, to dive into it together? Let's roll up our sleeves and really look at how John talks about Jesus coming into the world.
He says it like this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. That is John the Baptist. Now indeed, John the apostle says, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. He's talking about him and the other disciples who believed in his name. We have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son who is himself God is who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. He has revealed him. Throughout this passage, what John is trying to say is we don't just have a piece of God that came down. We don't just have some of God that came down. We don't just have a portion of him. He came down in his fullness. In his fullness. He says, we, we, his, the, the, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. He was full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt. So this is, a, this is a, a word that John makes up in the Greek language. It means tabernacled, tabernacled. Very weird word. You have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 33 to see really what is this tabernacle all about well, it's actually the whole latter half of Exodus. But the, the tabernacle is all about the Israelites working really, 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 really hard so that the fullness of God's glory could come and dwell in their midst. It was a painstaking process that, that took them a long time to get right and figure out. But once they did, God came down in his full glory and inhabited the holy of holies. And, and so what John is saying here, God's full glory showed up on, on earth in the person of Jesus Christ, not just a piece of him, all of them. The full divinity came down. It came down. We recognized him. We saw it. We saw his glory. Now, God's glory is his visible manifestations that he has within creation. That, that's typically how it's talked about. Um, it's seen in the Old Testament in a handful of, of theophanies in Israelite uh, history, Theophanies is just when God shows up um, in, in a very visible way. Moses sees this when he sees God's back in the book of Exodus. Isaiah gets this when he gets ushered into the throne room in a vision. Ezekiel has a vision of a figure like a man that has the glory of God upon him. Uh, th these are just a, a few examples. Um, and, and these experiences and glimpses of God's glory, they're, they're somewhat nuanced, they're somewhat complex, of course, but one thing is certain about them. That every time a person finds himself in the glory of God, it's the height of the human experience. There's nothing else better. Everything else falls away and pales in comparison to coming into the glory of God. Now, to be sure, uh, everyone also seems to be very terrified, like, oh my gosh, I've seen something I should not have seen. It's too great for me. I've experienced something I should not have experienced, and they felt after going through it that it was so incredible that they had cheated death itself. That's why, in one sense, uh, God's glory is hard to define, because it outstrips any, the greatest thing you could ever imagine. 
It's really, really difficult to define, but when you see it, it pales, everything else pales in comparison, and you'll leave everything you have to follow it. So John and his disciples, they beheld the glory, the one as the one and only son from the Father, and they leave everything to follow him, to follow him around as, a, as an odd band of misfits around ancient Israel for three years. They says, we saw it. We left everything to follow him. We saw that glory. We saw the same thing that Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and everybody, we saw the same things that all they saw. He's, how can I describe it? I, full of grace and truth. This is how he defines God's glory. He's full of grace and truth. But more than that, and this is where he and him, his disciples got something that Moses, Isaiah, and Ezekiel never got. It says, not only did we see his glory and grace and truth, we received that grace and that truth when he showed up. We saw it and we received it. Jesus Christ was so full of these qualities, he says they were overflowing to his followers. So, like I, I mentioned before, as someone who didn't grow up with, with, with roots, I love how Christmas roots us in something. And, and the, the, over the past 500 years, uh, the church has leaned into something collectively called Advent, where each Sunday they lean into a different thing that Christ has imparted to humans. Uh, faith, hope, joy, love. Those are the four uh, Sundays leading up to Advent. Here we see that that list isn't exhaustive. Grace and truth are there as well. Grace and truth, and the list, honestly, it probably is endless, but this is what we need to take away from this. When God shows up on earth, he gives things to us. Things overflow from him onto his followers. You see, with all the other gods and systems of religion, when the deity shows up, you have to bring it gifts. Christianity is the opposite way. The deity shows up bearing gifts. And our gifts can be thought of and, and should be conceived of in response to the incredible gifts of, and his glory that he has bestowed upon us that is greater than anything that we have in our pockets. But God shows up giving gifts in Christianity. It's beautiful. It's, it's really, really, really beautiful. So grace and truth. These are the gifts that John says. If, if I had to put words to what this glory was that we beheld and that spilled over onto us, it'd be grace and truth. What are they? What are they? Um, let's start with truth. Uh, Jesus brought truth. And, and the way that John articulates this is really beautiful. Uh, John tells us that the word brought truth, which is to say that God wasn't content to sit afar off, like outside of the universe, you know, humans, we, we rebel against him, we give him the stiff arm that's primarily seen in uh, the story of Adam and Eve, and each and every human does it after Adam and Eve, they, they stiff arm God. But he doesn't just go sit in a corner and withdraw from humanity. There is a certain sense in which God has a tactical retreat from the created order, because if he were to be fully here, he would kill us in our rebellion. His holiness would, would, would lash out and, and sin, and, and, and those who are involved in rebellion cannot live in his holiness. So there's a tactical retreat that God steps out of creation and grace 
so that humans can continue to live, uh, so that he can send his son Jesus to fix that problem. Okay, but, but God isn't running away and sitting in a corner and, and not reaching out to us any longer. That's what's beautiful, that Jesus showed up in truth. He showed up to make the Father known. He showed up to make God known to us. God is no longer this mystical being. That even as you read the Old Testament scriptures, God is this, this mystical, otherworldly being that seems to, to be throwing in, in all of these instructions onto the Jews on how to live a life, but we're only getting glimpses of him. We're not getting him in his fullness. John says when Jesus showed up, we figured out who that guy really was. The, 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 the last phrase, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. He overflowed with truth. He revealed who God was. That's the first aspect of truth. The second truth that Christ revealed was how humans are to live life. He's not just showing up in the person. Jesus didn't show up just to, to show us who God was. He actually came to show us how to live a life here on earth. He clearly articulates the law more clearly um, than it had been articulated before. And, and, and we'll, we'll, I'll see this in just a minute, actually. He models for us how humans are to embody the commandments of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what he showed up and, and taught us how to do. And, and, and we, as we become less and less rooted in Christianity, what happens is we actually lose how to do those things really well. Um, probably the best example is with the golden rule, loving your neighbor as yourself. As, as the West has tried to cut off that root of, of tying it to Christ, that golden rule is actually taught very differently now. It's no longer love your neighbor as yourself. It's don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. This is what's taught in grade school. If you were, if you were to ask most people what the golden rule is, they, they'd say that negative version, don't do this. But Jesus' golden rule is much more difficult. It's love. Positively step out and love your neighbor as you would like them to love you. Go and do what you would like someone to do for you. Now I know there's like the, we can get out of this by saying, I just want to be left alone. I get that, but no, that's not what Jesus is saying. And so at Christmas, we celebrate God's gift of truth to us in the person of Christ, because do you know what happens when we do that? The byproduct is confidence. Confidence. Being rooted in the truth of Christ, it tells us who we are and what our purpose is in the world and how to navigate it. We are fallen yet loved creatures who exist to encounter God's glory and help others do the same. It's, it's that simple. God didn't leave humanity as orphans. He came to us to root us in truth. He came to show us who he is and link us how to live a life that points to him. So now grace, that's truth, now, now grace. Jesus brought grace, grace. Um, this is an incredibly glorious part of our God, grace. Because the truth comes, and it says, and Jesus did this, you have misunderstood who God is. You've 
have misunderstood what he's up to and, and what he hopes you to accomplish in the world. And, and, and more than that, truth comes and, and it says you misunderstand who you are. You're clearly living for yourself. You'd rather not burden yourself with, with questions about how a human ought to live in life, about the responsibilities that we have to God, to one another, creation, even the responsibilities we have to our own bodies. The truth is, is that you're at odds with God. You're at odds with the gift of truth that he wants to give you. This is what the Hebrew law actually exposed in us. This is the, the um, John references it. The, the Mosaic law actually exposes in us. That's the truth that the Apostle Paul says functions as a babysitter, the, uh, Paul says, until Jesus Christ came, the parent. The parent walks in and makes the truth even more difficult. This is something that's not often known about Jesus Christ. He shows up and he articulates the law in such a way where it's like, sheesh, Jesus, I really can't accomplish that. He shows up in fuller truth. That's why um, John says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's so easy to think that the law was the truth and Jesus was the grace. But Jesus is both. And he makes the law more true. He fulfills the law. And he brings the grace that comes with it in order for us to have relationship with God while not fulfilling the law. So let's talk about that a little bit. He came with grace. And so while following God seemed harder than ever before, he overflows with grace for us when we miss the mark with regards to, to handling that truth, rising up to that truth. God is willing to overlook offense. That's what we find up when he shows up, or we find out when he shows up. It, it, and it means that he's more glorious than we had ever thought before. He, he brought truth not to condemn us, but to do something else entirely, to grow us. And so it, it must mean that this truth and this grace is available for you no matter what you've done. If you can begin to recognize his glory in the person of Jesus Christ, if you can begin to open yourself up to his gift of truth, if, if you can entertain the thought of receiving him, if believing in his name doesn't feel like too far of a stretch, then his gifts of truth and grace are there for you without condition. They're there for you. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to be a righteous person, whatever that looks like. You just need to say, okay, I'll receive you in all of your gifts. And when you do that, insecurity begins to melt away because you're getting rooted. You're accepted and you're loved because the second person of the Trinity came to earth and said, you're worth it. Let's have a relationship with one another. All of a sudden, the fears that were associated with your guilt and your shame, they disappear in the love and the acceptance of a God who embraces you. Even if you just came from the pig pens, even if you just came from reckless living like the prodigal son, even just last night, there's a God here to embrace you. He's a loving father. And when you have a, a father like that, insecurity vanishes. Why? Because you're, you're rooted, not just in, in truth, but also in grace. He's gonna embrace you. So you could say it like this. You're not just rooted in, in, in truth and in grace, but you're rooted in reality and a relationship. 
this is what the Christmas story tells us we can tap into. The reality of, of humanity on earth, separated from God and a relationship to unite it once more again. God is here to root us in him once again so that we can confident, confidently and securely pursue him and his purposes here in the world. And the question is, how can we be sure of it? How can we know? After all, grace and truth are at odds with each other. We all feel that. They're at odds with each other. If you put too much truth on a sinful person, who doesn't measure up to it? That's all of us, honestly. If we're all to take the full truth, it would crush us. It, it, it crushes them. But if you extend too much grace to that same person, they'll probably soon abandon the truth. So, so how can we be sure that both of these are available in Christ? And the answer is in this word that, that John has used a couple of times. So Jesus didn't just come with some truth and some grace, but full truth and full grace. They're both fully there. And where is it most clearly seen? The cross. The cross is where full truth and full grace meet. It's where it all comes together. It's, it's where the truth is, her is, is fully proclaimed that says everything that humanity has done that has come up short of God's, of God's truth is uncovered and it's acknowledged. All of our sin, is, it's gathered together on the cross. And it's also there that we fully see grace, the gift of mercy, where we, where we see we're not meant to carry all of those offenses ourselves, but they're put upon Christ. And he suffers God's punishment for them. And, and the full truth and full grace of the cross, it's, it's really staggering because it's there that God declares that humanity is worth as much as his own son. Humanity is worth as much as his own son to him. And it wasn't up until this point in history that this truth was declared, that humans are worth to him as much as himself, that God loves neighbor as self, that he has the same value for us as himself. It's, it's incredible. The law came through Moses, but truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. And if our God would die for us that we might live, he must have an incredible plan of redemption for us. And so that's why we're about to sing O Night Divine together. I'm going to read this part of the verse for you. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. It wasn't until Jesus came into the world that humanity knew its full worth to God. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and a glorious morn. So Christmas is an invitation to step into that glorious morn together, to, to look to Christ on the cross and accept his full truth and his full grace that he has for you so that you can link up with God's purposes and, and, and meaning and definition of, of who you are as a fully loved child of God so that you can go forth into the world and be used to accomplish his purposes of bringing as many people as possible to see this glory, this thing that is more beautiful, more incredible than anything else we've come into contact with, the grace and the truth of Christ. 
So this Christmas, lean into the grace and truth of Christ, and we look forward to uncovering it together uh, in community. We look forward to, to singing about it together in everything that we do. Because it's tied to the cross, we know that truth and grace are not far from, from, from the depths of, of Christ's treasuries for us, always at hand to use. So would you look for opportunities to use them this season? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we, we praise you for how you have appeared to us in the person of Christ and, and how, uh, how, how paradigm-altering it is when we come into contact with this incredible glory of your truth, your perfect truth, and also your perfect grace. You're so discontented with the idea of leaving us behind, and so you have embraced us and grabbed a hold of us. I pray for all of my friends who are here today that are considering whether they will accept that embrace from you, that are considering whether these gifts that, that, that you say are open and available for, our, for all humans are ones that they want to reach out and receive and take themselves, God. So right now, just ask that, that you would just draw close to them and, and help them along in their consideration and, and give them what they need uh, in order to take one small step closer to you or even one large leap closer to you, God. We just pray that right now through your spirit. As we look to worship you in song, God, I just want to echo the prayer of, of, of what the, the, the musicians prayed this morning, that, that we would praise you with, with all of our, our strength, our, our hearts, our minds, and our souls right now, God, that we would look to you and respond to the glory that you have revealed to us about yourself as we look forward to see it fully again one day. I pray all these things in, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, who, who brought us grace and truth, and by your Spirit, who is the one who delivers them to us. Amen. Amen. Well, every week here at Sedaris, we lean into the Lord's Supper together. We, we look towards the cross. This is an act that Jesus instated the, the night before he went to the cross and, and hoped his disciples would continue on so that they could remember the cross and how truth and grace fully collided on, uh, that, on those two pieces of wood. And so the way that you'll do that is you'll just come up at any point in these last three songs. And we have some on each side table here, and you can take the top off. There's a wafer in there that represents Christ's body broken for you. And then the, there's a little juice in the cup that represents Christ's blood poured out for you as well. And so you'll just eat that as a way of remembering Jesus and uniting yourself to him and everything that he's done um, at your seat. So so yeah, thank you for being here with us, uh, um, guys, and we really look forward to continuing to really unpack the, the great gifts that, that God has brought us over these next few weeks of Christmas. Um, Laura, um, who is up here doing, uh, doing announcements, our deacon, uh, she'll be up here to pray with you as, along with myself after the service if you'd like prayer. Uh, we love uh, doing that each and every week, so we'd love to pray with you as well. So. Um, I deliver to you what I also received from the Lord, that on the night he was betrayed, um, after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So at any point in, in these three songs, come and have fellowship with Jesus.
start this next song and uh, you'll stand with me as, as we begin to sing it. Um, we sing this song a lot. This song is called Nothing I Held On To. And I like to include this song and songs like it, not because of the complexity of the lyrics, but because of the simplicity of the lyrics so that we can meditate upon those. And so as we sing these simple lyrics, I hope you'll meditate on those. I hope you'll um, think about ways in which they can apply to your life specifically. Um, to lean not on your own understanding, to, to give it all to the Lord and to trust that uh, he has a plan for you. Um, so let's, let's get going. <laughs> 
Hopefully you all know this one. We're going to close it out with O Holy Night.
great week.